The scripture passage today is from the first letter of John. It's chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Uh, before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and wonderful Father, Lord, you have given us your word, Lord, to abide in our hearts, to dwell in our hearts. And also this words of, these words of Holy Scripture, Lord, written to us, spoken through the apostles and the prophets, faithfully recorded, passed down, and given to us, that we might know your good and perfect will for our life. Father, as we come to these words today, we know we cannot understand them unless your Holy Spirit, which inspired them first, would inspire us again. Father, breathe that spirit upon our hearts and souls now, we pray, Lord. Open our hearts and minds, illuminate us, that we may hear that we may understand. Bless this holy reading of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So many of you may have noticed that um, recently, and when I say recently, the last uh, 10 years or so, there has been an unusually large influx in our culture of zombie movies. I mean, I remember at one point you could hardly ever see a movie or a show or a book about zombies, and now they're all over the place. They've got TV shows, they've got books, they've got comics, they've got movies. It seems like every year some new incarnation of the zombie trope horror story is, is being recreated. I mean, they're all over the place. And you've got to wonder, why now? I mean, what is this seemingly new fascination with zombies. I mean, what is it about them that has seemed to uh, attract us so much recently? Now, as you all know, as, as well, if you've heard me these last few weeks, I've talked a lot about monsters re recently. I've talked about vampires, talked about werewolves. So, of course, today we've got to talk a little bit about zombies. And if you've been listening, you know that, well, I, my theory is that Monsters are all symbols of human sin, evil, and corruption. That's the role of monsters in literature is to corrupt us, to destroy life, to destroy all that is good. And every monster symbolizes evil in his own way. Like the vampires, okay? Vampires were just a symbol of sin in general. They drain life from us just like sin drains life from us. Uh, the werewolf is a symbol of the monster that all lurks inside each and every one of us. The monster that we have to fight against to be the men and women that God made us to be. 
And zombies, they have their own place in the whole monster genre as well. They're more than simple lumbering beasts, simple more than just lumbering corpses and the walking dead. Now, in case you don't know and you haven't been listening watching anything new in the last 10 or 15 years, let me bring you up to speed about zombies. All right, zombies are essentially an animated corpse. It's a dead body that has been risen back, not, not like risen like Christ is going to, like Christ rose or Christ is going to bring us all back to life. This is one that's been animated by some dark and evil magic, or if you read them recently, like Walking Dead, some contagion that's going around or some fungus like in what was that new other HBO one, The Last of Us. Always something evil, something awful is causing these, these corpses to come to life and lumber around. Now the thing you need to know about zombies is they look alive, but they're not really alive. They're called the undead. They're moving around, but there's, there's something missing in them. There's something that they don't really have that we do. They don't have that animated spark. They don't have a soul. They don't have the light of reason. They don't think. They don't have, there's real no true human passion or feeling in them anymore. They are just a body, an empty shell. Or as the show calls them, they are the walking dead. They don't think, they don't reason, they don't wonder, and they don't feel. And like all monsters, they feed off of the living. You ever notice that about monsters? Monsters always feed off of living human beings. They come to take life. They come to rob us of life. And zombies, well, they're no exception. They come to feed off of the living because they are not living themselves. And if you get bitten, you get turned into a zombie yourself. Now, understanding this, it should come as no surprise, really, why there is a lot of zombie literature and zombie movies in our culture today. I think the reason why there has been this new found fascination with zombies is because there is a real fear that that's what we're turning into. That our culture, that our civilization, that we're no longer making living, breathing, animated human beings anymore. We're just making animated corpses. People who don't reason, people who don't think for themselves, people don't, who, don't, who don't wonder, people that don't have curiosity, they don't have any true abiding deep passions, and they don't have any true abiding real love, just these empty bodies, these vessels that move from one pleasure to the next without reflection, without thinking, without feeling. I think there's this real fear, real concern that maybe we're just becoming mindless consumers, that there is no purpose and there is no reason for our existence besides pure existence. We are becoming, in essence, the walking dead. Just existing for the sake of existence, mindless consumers. We look alive, we're moving around just like real living people, but if you look closer, look closer, we're dead inside. That's what the Apostle John warns us about. You might not have known that from a first reading that he was warning us about zombies. Apostle John, 2,000 years ago, coming from that great distance of time and space, is warning us not to become zombies. Well, he doesn't use those words exactly. 
But that's what John means. So we're looking at the, uh, the apostles' letter. It's called the first letter of John. And he is one of the apostles of Jesus. He's called the beloved disciple. He wrote the gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. And we're looking at one of three letters that he wrote. And in this letter, John is teaching us how to be a hero. How to have the heart of a hero. To be the men and women that God made us to be. Because you see, God didn't make us to just exist. He didn't make us to be mindless consumers. He didn't make us to be the sheep of his world. He didn't make us to live without reason, without thinking, without reflection, without reason and purpose and the depth to what we do. He didn't make us like that. He made us not to be like the world around us. He made us to be conquerors of the world. That's who he's made us to be. Not to just lumber around like everybody else does, moving from one pleasure to the next. But to be heroes, to be conquerors of this world. And he starts out here, you know, it's verse 15, that first one we looked at. He, he warns us of the dangers of what he calls the world. This is what he says. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Because if anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. So there's a warning. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. And another harsh warning in John, he, he's full of a lot of harsh warnings. Because if you do love the world, that means the love of the Father is not in you. Now this is going to require me to do a little explaining. Two terms that we need to understand to find out what John is saying and why it's so important not to love the world. And we need to understand what he means by, first of all, the world, and then what he means by love, or the love of the world. Now, if you're like me, when I come across this, anything about like not loving the world, then there's a little bit of confusion in me, right? Because God made the world, after all. I mean, he created it. In Genesis, after he created the world, he says, it's good. So I don't know if he can't be talking about the physical earth that he created, and he's not talking about people either. Because after he created people, he said it's very good. And then he commanded us to love one another, to love your neighbor. But here he's saying, and in many places it says about not loving the world. Paul said, do not be conformed to the world. John says, do not love the world or anything of the world. So when he's talking about the world, anytime in the New Testament, he doesn't mean this physical earth. And he doesn't mean the people within what we call the world. When the New Testament uses the world, especially in this sense, it's a warning. And they're not talking about the earth. They're not talking about people. What they're talking about is life in rebellion against God. And that is the world that human beings create over and over and over again. They create a life and a way of living that is in complete and absolute and total rebellion against God. He tells you to live one way, the world says we're going to live another way. They pick new values, new ideals, new virtues, new morals, new ethics that have nothing to do with God, have nothing to do with the law of God, nor his desire for us. They have no concern with honoring God. No concern with respecting God, no concern with obeying him at all. And in, in essence, what they do is they create a kingdom altogether that is different. It's the kingdom of the world, and it stands against what we call the kingdom of God. 
But imagine any way where you try to live life and you take God out of the equation. Say, we're going to live life, but we're going to consider that there is no God at all. Or that he has any will for us at all. And so any value system created without the consideration of God, any ethic or moral created without consideration of God, any worldview, any ideal created without the consideration of your faith or the will of God, that is what he means by the world. It is the world in rebellion against God. Now this is the world that John says we cannot love. Because if we love this world, then the love of God is not in us. Now, it probably should seem fairly obvious why we can't love this world and then say the love of God is not in us. But it goes a little further. The word he uses for love in Greek is agape. Now, some of you might know that the Greeks actually had four different words for love, meaning four different kinds or levels of love. We're not going to talk about them all today. Just going to focus on what John said. When John talked about loving the world or loving this world in rebellion against God, the Greek word he used was agape. Now, agape is a very special kind of love. It is considered the highest form of all loves. It's, not, it's, it's, it's above all other loves. It's a divine form of love. Anytime you hear, almost anytime the word love is in the New Testament, it's agape. When it says God is love, it's a God is agape. When it said God so loved the world, God so agaped the world. When it told us to love our neighbor, to love one another, agape your neighbor. Agape one another. It is the pure love. It is an unselfish love. It is an, uh, a sacrificial love that he means when he uses the word agape. But there's also another nuance we need to understand about this agape love because it's also a devotion, a devoted love. Some people call it a preferential love. And that means you prefer this object. And what, what that really means is when you have agape for something, you prefer that object, whatever you feel the agape for, over and against everything else. It is your main preference, your main object of devotion, this thing that you love. And because you love this thing in this way, you cannot love its opposite. If you have this deep abiding, this devoted agape love for something, you cannot love its opposite. You cannot love what stands against this thing that you love. Now, that, that's what usually causes our confusion because our lower loves, what the Greeks would call a storge, that lower loves, you can love contradictory things in storge because there's, there's no conflict there. Like take your love for summer. Right, if you love summer, we call that a storge love. You can also love its opposite. You can love winter. There is no internal conflict with loving summer and winter because it's not that deep, absolute, pure, devoted love. You can love Carolina and love Clemson, right? I know it sounds odd, <laughs> but you can because we don't have agape love for our local football team, right? Yes, we don't have that agape pure, devoted love to our football team. If you do, we got some problems that cannot be addressed this Sunday. <laughs> because when you love something with agape love, you cannot love its opposite. You, in fact, you have to hate its opposite. 
as in if you had this agape love for summer, then you've got to hate winter because winter stands against everything summer stands for. Winter is cold and summer is hot. Summer is humid. Winter is dry. Lots of leaves and plant life are, are just abundantly flourishing in summer. All the trees are dead in winter. You cut grass in summer. You rake leaves in winter. See, the two stand against each other. And if you have this absolute devoted preferential love for summer, then you've got to hate winter. That's the kind of love that John's talking about when he says you cannot love the world. Because the world is in rebellion against God. The world and its values and its ideals and its beliefs are against everything that God tells us to value and to believe and to hold as true and good ideals. So how can we say that we have this agape preferential love for God and then at the same time love a world that stands against him? How can we say we have this devoted love for God and at the same time love a world that is in rebellion against him? How can we say that we have this, this love for God and then have for a world and then have love for a world that stands against God, that fights against God, that opposes God, that curses him, that reviles him, that flouts his law, that rejects his love, that refuses his sovereignty? How can we say we prefer this? Prefer God at the same time. Gape love doesn't allow for that. This is the kind of love when Jesus says you cannot have two masters. We cannot prefer this love of God and then prefer the world that stands against him at the same time. And here John lays out the values of this world. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. I mean, just think of everything the church for centuries has been warning us about, about lust and fornication, pornography and gluttony and food obsession and envy and greed and pride and boastfulness. All these things, what he calls the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, these things are not from God. These things are from the world and we cannot have a devoted preferential love. For these things in the world, these things that stand against God and try to be devoted to God at the same time. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I mean, these things of the flesh, we need them, don't we? Some of them, yes, we do. And we can even enjoy some of these things of the flesh. But if we become devoted to them, if we give them this agape, this preferential, this devoted love, they become idols. And they destroy us from the inside out. These things of the world cannot take the place in the heart where God alone is designed to reign. And all these things that John warns us about, the desire of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, these are the exact same things that the world is devoted to especially in America. Oh, we love the desires of our flesh and the desires of our eyes. We love the pride of life. You don't believe me, just get on Instagram for about, I don't know, 10 seconds. 
You'll see how much we're in love with those things. See, outside of the church, these are the, the values that the world has. Inside the church, this is what we warn you about. Lust, greed, gluttony, pride, envy. We call them the seven, we call them part of the deadly sins. The world calls them values. This is the reason why that world is dead. Where John says the world is passing away, he ends his passage like this. And the world, the world in rebellion against God, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, we look at the world outside the church, what we call the, the secular world. The world in rebellion against God and man, they seem to have it all sometimes, don't they? They got the money, they got the power, they got the fame, they got the best parties. I mean, they're having a great time out there. They seem to get stronger and stronger with every passing generation where we look at the church and, oh man, it feels like we're in the losing end lately. We're losing members, we're losing influence. They're calling us backwards and obsolete. We have old, outdated beliefs. We're dying. But if we could see the kingdom of the world for what it really was, we wouldn't envy them at all. If we could look and see the kingdom of the world for what it really was, we would run in absolute terror. Because if we had the eyes to see the kingdom of the world for what it really was, we would see a civilization of the walking dead. They're still moving around, but they're dead inside. It's a nation of zombies. If we could see things truly, we would see that in them is no life, and there is no life in their world. That in the kingdom of the world, there are creatures who feed off of the living and will make us just as dead as they are. Jesus told his disciples, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The only place we find life is with the author of life. If we search for it anywhere else, if we search for it any way outside of Christ, all we're going to find is death. If we search for life anywhere outside of Christ, all we will find is a life that I mean, looks like life. But in truth, it's just an animated corpse. The life that Christ promises us is not just life. It's a life that even death cannot destroy. It's in Jesus Christ that we will find true life. In Him, we will wake up from that spell that the rest of the world is under. We will see if we try to make a world apart from Jesus, we can only make a world of the dead. Friends, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up and open your eyes and see things as they are. It's time to wake up, to open your eyes and no longer be deceived by the world and its glamour, but let the truth live in you.
time to stop slumbering with the dead. It's not what you were made for. You were made for much more than that. You were made to live. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.